what's ten thousand dollars when you have to spend it all on therapy for your lifetime supply of daddy issues this is the night of the hunter Welcome to Seen and Heard. This is the podcast where two entertainment assistants go through the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. We're back on the sight and sound list this week, ping-ponging back and forth between the top and the bottom, Mm -hmm. although we're getting closer to the middle at this point, which means we are nearing, I mean, not soon, soon, but soon enough, we're nearing the end of the 100 because we're still going off the 2012 list. Well, yes. So this is the 2012 on the 2012 list. This movie is number 63. So we're already in the mids that way. But then also it doesn't really count because so many movies are tied in so many spots. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to judge, honestly. Yeah, it it can be hard. But um, for those asking, because we have got some gotten some inquiries like when we're done with the the top 100 of 2012 we're gonna go to the 2022 list and fill in the gaps of the films that are on that list that are not on this one and then once we do that we'll expand to the 250 yeah and on the 250 they'll still be overlap from the 2012 top 100 yeah so it's all about like talking about them in context for example this movie is number 25 on 2022 it has jumped up like 40 positions what was it on tw- uh, 2012 63 oh, okay that's crazy i think that that might be the biggest jump we've seen so far uh maybe mm. oh no actually there's things that are like in the top 10 there's stuff that's fall i think john dealman was probably a huge jump. yeah that's actually probably yeah. and then some stuff fell really hard like yeah. didn't godfather 2 fall off the top 100 or something Did it really or was it the first godfather i forget <laughs> Godfather Part 2 is now 104 on the list. Yeah, see? It's exactly like stuff has fallen in, in a big way. And that the general, crazy. the general too. Before we get into the film this week, just a quick note. We are recording this episode right after our pickpocket episode aired. And it's so funny. It's I think it's just been a while since like, I was going to say we, but it's mostly me, has been <laughs> so like hostile towards a film. <laughs> it's like, I we forgot the backlash. <laughs> got some backlash <laughs> um it's just like funny it's and it ranges from like some people are like you guys are like children and then <laughs> other people are like that was a really like i disagree but you had like a really nuanced take so it's like this whole spectrum of you like you can't please everyone you can't but like look honestly too i mean i try to rein it in it is mostly me and in all fairness you are more like devil's advocate and you <laughs> you do keep the conversation going whereas sometimes i'm like digging my heels in um, but the funny thing about it is that when we started this show, part of our mission statement was like nothing, no film or filmmaker is like above criticism, like because these films are on the side and sound list, like because stuff is constantly being reevaluated over time, right? Because we've seen mm-hmm. the list change, nothing should be above criticism. So like neither of us just like bows down to a film because of its stature. And I think the whole point of the show, while sometimes, yes, I take it overboard, is like just reassessing honesty. films. Yeah, honesty and re- reassessing films uh, from where we are now in our lives, where we are in 2024. And uh, yeah, we're not always <laughs> going to agree. In fact, I believe this episode is going to be a 
a wild card, yeah, if I, think, I may. I think it will be too. Wait, on which side do you think it's going to be a wild card? I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but before... When oh, you're yeah. saying neither of us bow down to something because it's so revered. Let's just say I felt that. Mm, okay. Well, I know we've talked on the show before about... Because you just saw this movie for the first time like last year. And I think you mentioned it on one of your previous... What have I been I watching? I did. And I remember you weren't big By on By the then. way, the movie's this week is The Night of the Hunter. Yes, The Night of the Hunter. Uh, before we get into the film, though, what have you been watching lately? Oh, my God. What haven't I been watching? I I saw Iron Claw. Like I was telling you and Molly before, I am not the audience for this movie. And this is the general feeling about this movie, I think. Because I think girls are going to it and really liking it. Because it, it hits every emotional beat so well. It's not corny like a biopic usually is. It's really, really deeply felt and really heartbreaking. Like, I was a mess, is all (laughs) I can say. In a really good way, though. Like, I felt real catharsis. I rewatched Holes recently. I saw that on your letterbox. Oh, my God. This movie is so good. Do you like Holes? Okay, it's funny. I... I loved the book growing up. Yeah. But like by the time the movie came you out, I was kind of over it. And I was so the, I never saw the movie. Oh my God. I was like the perfect age. And let me tell you, seeing that movie so young, I think I'm not even kidding, like deeply influenced my taste in movies because it's gritty and it's kind of Western and it's, but it's, they're young. Like he's like, I think he's only like 12 and the movie is pretty dark for a Disney YA movie. It's pretty, he goes to prison camp. Yeah. The book was kind of dark. The book is dark. Yeah. The movie like softens a little bit, but still it holds up. Like I saw it. I haven't seen it in so long. And my brother and I were, my brother is so funny. Like the night before we watched it, he texted me saying, what's our Disney plus information and i was like why what do you what do you want to watch he's like holes and i said i'm like wait for me like i want to watch it too and it really holds up and all the women in it are so badass sigourney right but yeah it's sigourney (laughs) it's patricia arquette patricia right yes yes isn't john voight john voight is in it that other guy whose name i can't remember who's in a bunch of coen brothers movies not a bunch but two three (laughs) which movies Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Is it Tim Blake Nelson? Yes. Oh, yeah. Tim Blake Nelson is in it. Great cast. All the f- But all the female characters are like so well constructed and so interesting. Like I just, I will sing the praises of Holes forever, but I really think it influenced me. I should see it. Yeah. It's, there's like a few things that are kind of outdated, like a few like slow-mos and stuff, but it's about so many things like serious issues. Anyway, that's my, that's my take on Holes. I saw Eileen. So this is the adaptation of the Otessa Mochefer novel. It's directed by William Oldroyd. Actually, Mochefer co-wrote the script. Have you have you seen any trailers for it it's with Anne Hathaway and Oh, that Thomas movie. and Mackenzie? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, I so have. So I saw it and it, I really liked kind it. Kind of like a psychosexual. It's a psychosexual like... 60s. It has such a warm 60s feel, like even the credits and the way it's shot really kind of dark but also warm and it genuinely shocked me like there were moments that genuinely shocked me i wish the end was turned up like a little bit but other than that i i actually really enjoyed it and it's good like we don't get movies like that you know 
Yeah. Like it felt it's strange because people keep talking about how the holdovers is like so 70s. Like it feels so 70s. And I don't think the holdovers in its filmmaking feel 70s to me. But this movie did. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I bet the holdovers. Oh, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was very I was impressed. And that's what I've been watching. Nice. What have you been watching? Um, A couple rewatches. I rewatched Terms of Endearment. Oh. So good. <laughs> it's so good. It really is. It is. I. I just. Yeah. I think too. Like those films that are able to run the gamut of like when it's funny, it's really funny and exactly. light on its feet, and then when it's devastating, it's like really devastating. And that, I've seen it yeah. before a, a few times, but like, yeah, it, it hit hard. That movie changed my life. It's so like, good. It really changed my life. Is that your favorite James L. Brooks yeah, movie? Easily over like broadcast news and stuff. I love broadcast news, but yeah, this is. Yeah, I agree. And I grew up on as good as it gets. Like, oh yeah. And I lo- I have a soft spot for that, but like I showed it to Molly recently. Oh, well, in the last couple of years, she's like, mm, and she like wasn't into it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like as good as it gets. But how can you not like Terms of Endearment? Like, come on. I mean, I could see the argument that like it's saccharine or like, I don't know. But but uh, I, I think it's really great. I think it's kind of like big Hollywood filmmaking at its best. Like when it you, it's kind of star so well star studded cast yeah. and like. The only plot point that I don't uh, that doesn't work for me is why Deborah Winger starts an affair with John Lithgow. Really? I, I totally know. I like that. He's just weird. He's so weird. He's like, it's "Hey, hilarious. remember me the from the bank? I turned you down for a loan?" Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I, I don't like know. It. Is there anything sensual about this man in this role? No. <laughs> no. But it works for me. I don't know why. <laughs> So I rewatched that. I rewatched. I saw Dial of Destiny for the third time. Third time? (laughs) I did Desperate Living, which was for me the big, the last big John Waters movie that I had not seen. Mm. I have. I think the only two that I haven't seen at this point are Pecker and Cecil B. Demented from the '90s. But this is his last big like '70s trash movie that I had not seen. Notable because Divine is not in the movie. Mm. But yes, (laughs) actually rented it from Video Tech. Oh no. I got to check out their new location and everything, but yeah, no, I haven't been. Did you did you see Luce? Was she there? No, I didn't see her. Oh. But yeah, good movie, good movie. And then the last one again, rewatch. I rewatched Goodfellas. <laughs> Honestly, just take that disc off my shelf because while it sits on my shelf, I watch it like every six it. months or something. I mean, that's fine. It's just so magnetic. I yeah. just can't get enough of that movie. We're I don't know watch how many it pretty times I've soon, seen it. though, for the list. We will. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And then lastly, I saw a film called Falcon Lake from this from last year by Charlotte Lebon, which is this great french film uh, it's kind of a coming of age story uh love story between these two kids that are like vacationing at this lake over like a summer and there's a slight kind of creepy element to it because the girl has made up a story that like the lake is haunted or something so that's like kind of like very vaguely in the background but it's mostly this you know co- this very tender coming of age love story which i thought was hmm. really great charlotte Lebon. uh-huh isn't that an actress yes she also directed she directs yeah, she also directs. Wow. I, I think know that. it was her first film. I did not know that. Um actually no, it looks like she Oh, yeah, it was her first feature. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, it's good. It's absolutely worth seeing. Good movie. Mm. I also I forgot to say I rewatched Passages cuz I have movie still and I'm going to cancel it pretty soon. Oh, I still haven't seen it. And I don't know, I just wanted to like watch it again. It's so weird like we see these movies. I think it's because I'm making up my list now of my favorites from 2023. Mhm. And because it was accessible, I was like, let me try and like watch it again. 
definitely liked it more the second time. I mean, I I really I liked it the first time, but the second time around, I was like, wow. Oh, cool. So you should watch it. I know. I need to. I feel like you'd like it. I Especially need to. the costumes are incredible, and the set design is incredible. Count me in. Yeah. Well, let's just get into the film this week. Yeah. From 1955, this is Charles Lawton's The Night of the Hunter. The Night of the Hunter was released in 1955. It was directed by Charles Lawton, written by James Aggie, based on the novel by the same name, by Davis Grubb, cinematography by Stanley Cortez, and music by Walter Schumann. During the Great Depression, con man and serial killer Harry Powell poses as a preacher while marrying widows he then robs and murders. After getting arrested for stealing a car, Powell meets an inmate on death row in prison named Ben Harper. Powell tries to get it out of Harper where he hid the $10,000 he stole from a bank, but Harper takes the secret to his grave. Harper gave the money to his children, John and Pearl, to hide in Pearl's doll and made them each swear never to tell anyone. After being released from prison, Powell travels to Harper's town on the Ohio River and seeks out his widow, Willa, and the children. Powell gets Willa to marry him and turns her into a fervent, born-again Christian. Meanwhile, he threatens the children and tries to hoax the secret out of them. When Willa catches him one day, he murders her. The children flee, floating down the river in their father's old dinghy, and eventually they land at the dwelling of Rachel Cooper, a woman who adopts and cares for unwanted children. Powell eventually finds the children, but Rachel realizes he's a charlatan and refuses to let him take them. She guards the house at night while Powell lurks outside. She eventually shoots him and he is cornered into the barn and he's arrested the next day. He is tried for the murder of 25 widows and is sentenced to death. Meanwhile, Rachel and the kids have a lovely Christmas and the film comes to a close as she ruminates on the abiding nature of children. The film stars Robert Mitchum as Harry Powell, Shelley Winters as Willa Harper, and Lillian Gish as Rachel Cooper. I think we need to mention the children as well. Uh, Billy Chaplin as John and Sally Jane Bruce as Pearl. Cinematographer Stanley Cortez, you guys might remember him from The Magnificent Ambersons. The novel that the film is based on was inspired by a real-life serial killer, Harry Powers, who was actually hanged in Moundsville, West Virginia. He married and murdered two widows, but actually the way he found them were through Lonely Hearts advertisements. Mm. Yeah. Sad. I know. It's really sad. But I mean, he killed two. In the movie, he killed 25. Yeah. (laughs) I guess in the novel too. But um, Charles Lawton, of course, is first and foremost an actor. Um, 
He had directed some theater in London and wanted to start directing films. He was given the novel by producer Paul Gregory and instantly fell in love. He considered himself for the role of Harry Powell, Mm -hmm. but was talked out of it. Uh, He wanted to pay homage to silent films in his direction. He was inspired by German expressionism. And he actually watched nitrate prints of silent films to prepare, such as Birth of a Nation, Intolerance, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And I didn't know this, but did you know that he was married to Elsa Lanchester? Oh, no, I didn't. They were married. Of course, they start together in Witness for the Prosecution. Mm -hmm. She's also from Mary Poppins. She's also the Bride of Frankenstein. And so Lawton wanted to cast his wife as Rachel Cooper, but she refused. She said, like, I don't think it's right. And after doing all this research on silent films, he landed on Lillian Gish. How appropriate. I know. Excessive rewrites were required to meet the approval guidelines of the production code. It was shot mostly at a movie ranch in the valley, but the river cutaway shots and composition shots uh, were shot by a second unit in West Virginia. The iconic shot of Willa's body in the river was shot with a dummy. Very convincing. Was that in the valley also? The river? Like someone's pool? It must have been. The silhouette shot seen through the barn window of Powell riding a horse is actually a little person on a pony. Yes, yes, that's right. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Famously, the film was neither a box office nor a critical success, and Charles Lawton never directed anything else ever again. One executive called it too arty when the film was first shown to him by the editor. Protestant and Catholic groups were against it. It was banned in Memphis, Tennessee. Of course. And that's that's what I got cool. for specs. And it's such a shame. Well, actually, I don't want to get into it too much, but what? Nothing. Oh. I'll say it in my initial thoughts. <laughs> well, wait. Before we started this episode, you were like, "I'm really." You had a prediction or something. Do you want to share with the class what that was? My prediction was that upon this rewatch, you were going to agree with me a little bit. Agree with what I said the episodes before when i first watched it last year right that it's it's not this all-knowing classic that everyone else seems to think it is that it's corny okay um who wants to go first (laughs) (laughs) well firstly i do want to say though that it's a shame that charles lawton never recorded recorded never directed anything again because it is very clear that he has vision and i think that he could have been really great well, it should be noted, too, that Charles Lawton, if you don't know him as an actor, and he was a very prolific actor, starting in the silent era, I believe, but um, he was almost the, the Brando before Brando. Like It's so was... hard to picture because, like, physically, <laughs> they're so different. Well, Brando in, like, from the 70s on didn't look so different from Charles Lawton, honestly. But yeah, Charles Lawton was not this like method actor, but he was known for these sort of larger than life characters and that he took it very seriously and was this like truth. Yeah. So Brett, he actually is study. I forgot to mention this, but he was a follower of uh, Brechtian acting. Uh Uh, And that's very much like, basically you make the audience aware that they're watching a play. Right. Like it's like making the familiar unfamiliar, not that different from Bresson, honestly, the way that Bresson did his (laughs) like movie version of it. That's kind of what Brechtian acting is. As I understand it, because they want you to get like they don't want you to get lost in the story and they don't want it to be a conventional catharsis like they want it to be very obvious that you're watching a play sometimes talking directly to the audience doing like outlandish weird things Uh 
and then they want you to come up with your own conclusions right essentially and the the man who invented brechtian acting i believe his name is bertold brecht mm-hmm. um he was a marxist and his work was very political so like yeah he didn't want it to be traditional feeling when watching a play and that's what brechtian acting is and you can see i think you can see it a lot in this movie you can see it in this and a, a more recent example although it's crazy now that this film's already like 20 years old is like something like dogville it's like yes. true brechtian exactly theater. like yeah. play the scene to provoke a discussion is essentially what it's i don't know yeah well why don't you go yeah. first let's hear your initial thoughts okay first. this is my second time seeing this and i have to say i felt pretty much the same yeah. after this time around there are moments of like real beauty, like really gorgeous. But overall, I just can't get past it's it comes off as corny. It comes off as like campy melodrama to me more than anything else. Like that's just how I feel. I can never really take him seriously. Like I Robert don't know. Yeah, like I and I was really trying to think I'm like am is this person scary? And I think he's scary in that he's so unpredictable, but he's not smart. Like, I, I'll get more into it later. This time around, like, when it started and it's the creepy song, I was like, oh, wow, hell yeah. Like, I forgot about this. <laughs> but then the floating heads come. And I'm like, really? Yeah, Over like, the it's stars. It's things like that in the stars. Yeah, it's like there's moments where I'm like, ooh, ooh. And then it's like kind of ruined by something. <laughs> And I get it. I get the silent film stuff. I get that it's a cross between like a horror movie and a Mother Goose story. It's interesting. It's like much, much better than a lot of movies from that time. But I cannot get on board with like bowing down and worshiping this movie. I just can't. I think the movie has a lot to say, but I'm not really crazy about how it says it. Like, I think this is going to be a really good discussion because there are things about it I really like. Yeah, and then also my initial thought was when I was watching it, I was like, Moundsville, Moundsville, prison, 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 graveyard. What, where, where have I heard this? And there's a Phoebe Bridgers song, so I'm pretty sure Phoebe Bridgers really likes this movie. And it's thing, You Missed My Heart. Do you know that song? No. Well, there's literally a part that goes down river from the Moundsville, prison, graveyard. So when they were saying that, I was like, where have I heard this before? That's so, cool. Yeah, I think Phoebe Bridgers likes this movie. I think a lot of people do. <laughs> Speaking of a lot of people who like this movie, go ahead. Well, okay. Going back, my history with this movie, when I was a kid, I think I've mentioned him before a few times on the show, but my friend Tim, who was five years older than me, my best friend growing up, he lived just down the street. And so he was five years older. So when he was seeing a lot of films kind of for the first time, he would show them to me. So I was like young. And he had older brothers, too. Like, he was the youngest in his family. So a lot of the classics I saw... I, honestly, a lot of my early cinephilia <laughs> uh, comes from him. Because he would ha- he had this great VHS collection. Or it was maybe it was his brother's. But this is one of the tapes they had. Mm-hmm. It's funny, because he always tried to get me to watch it. And I, like, wasn't interested in watching it. I think because it looked pretty old. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't see it. But in high school, I took a film class. Junior year of high school had a teacher, Mr. Guarino, who I think I've mentioned before, and he showed us this movie. So I saw this junior year of high school, and I was like, oh my god. So I loved it immediately. I think the whole class loved it, and everyone would quote it, and they would sing Leaning. Yeah, such a good song. So like, I've seen this over the years a handful of times, and I know when you told me like a year ago that you had just seen it and thought it was meh, uh, I was outraged. (laughs) 
Um, and in fact, this film just last year got this like beautiful 4K uh, disc from Kino. So I, this time I got to see it on 4K. This this episode was a great excuse to pu- to pull the 4K off the shelf. It's it, it's apparent from the very beginning of the film with the talking heads and like bless the children and all that stuff. No, it's not supposed to be real life. I understand that. It's this big gothic dream of a movie. And it's like the Robert Mitchum character, again, talking about Brando, like Robert Mitchum also kind of had this like immediacy that I think Brando was, was, is kind of recognized as like starting, but Robert Mitchum had it before him. And of course, Robert Mitchum was this kind of Hollywood outsider. Like he was a big pothead back in the fifties and like very vocal about it. So he was kind of this bad boy outsider. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you get him in stuff like this and Cape Fear yeah. and like great noirs like out of the past. So like he's this great presence in the movie and he has this almost like I'm, I was trying to put my finger on it when I was rewatching this last night. He's like part Elvis and part like maybe it's Brando. I don't know. But it's like he has this and I don't I'm not even an Elvis fan, but he just has this like something, the special to. something. It's the draw. It's like the, the look of his face. Yeah. But he just looks like a bad guy. <laughs> Like he looks, he looks like, like a, a not a good guy. Yeah. And I think what what I like about this is everything. But no, what I like about this is just that it is such a simple story told in this really exaggerated mm-hmm. theatrical way where obviously sets are sets and but it's shadows and it's fog and it's the river and it's like critters along the river and it's like spider I love webs. all that. I love all that. But the kid, I can't get past the kids. Like, they are so <laughs> awful. And also, I think the writing is, like, really corny. I mean... And we'll talk about it. No, but, like, I get that. I, and but I, yeah. visually, I love... Listen, I love it visually. Like, it's, I really do. It's not but like a new one. kids! I mean, I think the kids... Look, I, I, I get what you're saying, but, like, naturalism... This movie's not going for naturalism. I know! And I think, too, because Lawton is such a great actor, like, it leads me to believe that the sort of exaggerated performances, I mean, it's it's intentional, obviously. And, like, Robert Mitchum in this movie is so big. Yeah. So big. I don't have a problem with him in this movie. But, like, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just, um, he's so great in the movie. And, of course, like, he's fucking weird, too. Oh, my God. He's so weird. And we'll talk about it. For, like, a big Hollywood movie from the 50s, like, he's weird in ways that, like, people were, characters weren't really weird yet. Right. Like, the way he howls. Oh, my God, And yeah. leaps around and, like, just his mannerisms are very off. Right. And so, but no, the, the Southern Gothic vibe of this movie is just so 100% up my alley. I watched this like Molly, it turns out I thought I had showed this to Molly like years ago. I hadn't or maybe she like fell asleep or something, but she watched it with me last night and she was also like totally in it. Even like covering her eyes and like jumping and stuff. Nice. So I it's a masterpiece. Like in a way, I agree with you on all the points you just said, but again, I don't think I, I can I can look past it. And I think it's part of the charm in the way that like David Lynch's stuff, like Twin Peaks or whatever, doesn't necessarily have quote unquote good acting. It's like all part of this heightened dream state. And so for that reason, I mean I love this movie. I love it. Great. <laughs> like, so yeah. Here's the thing. Okay. And I was trying to put my finger on, like, what exactly my uh, issues were, my qualms, essentially. Yeah, and it's, like, it's it's moments that are really great, and then it's ruined by someone talking. Like, I think that's what like I... the kids? 
or even Willa. Like, I think her performance is good, but I don't like the script. I don't, I don't know. The floating heads. Like, I think the floating heads are ridiculous. Oh, I like it. I think they're freaking ridiculous. I think it sets the stage immediately. What kind of, you're being told this story. Yes, and there's a really good article on uh, Senses of Cinema. And it's by Adrian Dinks. And it's basically how the movie is about storytelling and how storytelling mm-hmm. is so tied to it. This Mother Goose thing that yes. we're talking about. Reading from the and Bible. I totally get it. Biblical stories. I totally get it. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, it opens with that very creepy song. And we're in the stars. And I'm like, ooh. And then it's like, all right, children, the Bible is this. And I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know. Wait, wait. In what way? Just like the biblical stuff turns you off? I mean. It doesn't usually, but it's just so. I think it's just like, it's like beware the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, it's, it's a like, fable. But it's like, li- and then we're literally cutting to him. I, okay, I really love the float, the the legs, like the discovery of the the dead woman that he killed, essentially on the stairs. I love the that the music there, like that's cool. Okay, and but then it's like it's when Willa's talking to Icy. First of all, Icy is ridiculous. When Willa's talking to Icy and she's like, I just don't want a husband. And then it cuts to a train coming and the music's like crazy. And then it cuts back to Willa saying more like, I just don't want a husband again with the train. Like it's, it it was, I don't know. Like I thought that was much. Yeah. I mean, it's big. I get it. But (laughs) it's very big. Like, I don't know. I usually like when people make these like. I, okay, I love the shadows and I love the train. Like if these are all like silent movie things, right? If this was a silent movie and it was like that, it was like a title card, right? Like I just want my husband and then like train with music, like I'm in. It's something about saying it. It's something about talking aloud. Like uh-huh. I don't know. I can't really. I love that he was inspired by silent films and I love these silent film elements, but something about it when people open their mouth. It's something is not working. I wonder if you almost look at it through the lens of being like a kid's a, a kid's movie. In Maybe. The way. Like, I love the shadow. I love his shadow, his hat in the wall. I don't like Pearl pointing to it and her jaw dropping and then immediately going back to sleep. I laugh. When, when Pearl points and her jaw drops, I was cracking up. <laughs> and that's not what I want to feel. That's not how I want to react. Right. I think it's because they're talking. Like, if for this me, was a silent movie, oh my God. For me, so great. I'm laughing every time Pearl opens her mouth just because her her uh, dialect is so ridiculous. It like. is, oh, and then, okay, let's, let's, let's continue. When Powell is like inside the ice cream parlor, right? And John sees him and he picks up the doll and the music gets all crazy. Like, that's cool. But then it cuts to John and John's jaw drops, his jaw drops and he's like, <gasps> he like runs inside and his face like it's here's. And then I, I, I think I realized it. It's it's asking kids to be silent film stars. Right. And that's what's not working for me. I, I see. Think. I see. Because like, yeah, asking kids to be silent film stars in the 50s is not working for me for some reason. Realizing when he realizes, he says something like, You'll, I'll never tell you where it is. And then he's like, oh, and he like covers his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's so funny. That was what that moment Molly actually laughed at it's that moment. It's so, so funny. Yeah. And then at one point, Powell goes, it's me your mom believes. And his jaw drops again. He's like, oh. <laughs> Well, I think that's um, the reason that I that I like it is because you're right. It does have this silent film, clearly very heavily inspired by silent films, has that whole aesthetic, German expressionism, everything. But you have this Mayberry acting in it in the same way that like David Lynch, I like guess. in Blue Velvet or I, something, right? I mean, yeah, but Blue Velvet is more forgivable for some reason. Like this is like, 
I don't know. I, yeah, like his face before he throws the hairbrush. He's like, like you guys can't see us. This is really hard because it's like not. Um, yeah. Oh, and then when he goes, it's under the stone in the floor. And Pearl's like, oh. <laughs> it's so funny to me. I don't know. And then the scene. Okay. The scene when Willa's in the bathroom getting ready for her wedding night. That is incredible. Mm. Like the lights turning off her hand on the doorknob. That is so Her finding amazing. the knife in his coat. It's so amazing. But then she starts praying, help me be clean for him. Like that. And I'm out. Like I'm out. But then like before that, it was so good. Do you get what? I, I'm trying to put my finger on what it is. And I think it is very like. No, it's just overdone for it's you. When it's when people are talking. Yeah. I have an issue. <laughs> the fog when she's walking away from the ice cream parlor gorgeous but then she's like it's my job to fix what's betwixt them and i'm like come on lady (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know if it's the script or i don't know Um, it's both it's the script and it's the delivery i love their bedroom like the tabernacle kind of triangle like the the construction of their bedroom is incredible. Well, it's supposed to look like a cathedral. Yeah, too. like a tower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I love the iris closing when he's like, children, the iris. Like, that's oh my God. incredible. It's so good. When they're in the basement. Yeah. Yes, that is incredible. I love the float down the river. I'm obsessed with the float down the Huck river. Finn. Except when this illiterate three-year-old opens her mouth and a perfect soprano belts out. <laughs> like, you see what I mean? That's There's, part of it. It's no, part it's of not. it. I start it dying laughing. <laughs> I start cracking up. So it's like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's not for everybody. And I get why you're turned off by those things. But it's like that. It's it's that heightened melodramatic feel that exactly it makes it work so. That's much what for I mean. Me. Like it's melodrama camp, and I it's fun for that. But I don't take it serious. I don't take it that seriously. Hmm. I also don't understand like when he pops up in their house when Lillian Gish finally shoots him. I je- like I cannot comprehend that. Like why he would do that when he knows she has a shotgun? That and also what is he doing? I don't understand where they saw him from. I don't understand the geography of that house. Okay. I don't understand where they saw him and how he just did he crawl on the floor and they watched him crawl on the floor until he popped up in front of the shotgun like I don't understand. He just entered from another room because he's. She has her eye on him, right? And then, um, but then they see him. Pearl enter comes the house in. Pearl and- comes in, and with her candle, then it obscures his silhouette. And then when the candle gets blown out, he's gone from the front. That's fine. I and mean, when she actually through like the back door or something. But he just pops up right in front of them. He's not like right in front. He's like, I feel like he's like a room away. To me, it seems like he. They see him, and then like he pops up in front. Where like he had to crawl on the floor and pop up in front of them. Yeah, well, he has this animal like. No, but that that, make, that makes no sense. Why wouldn't she shoot him when he's crawling on the floor? I mean, I, wait, I'm trying to. Re- it's really like she sees he's in the next room. Can I? Play and then she shoots him. This? She shoots him, and yeah, then he, he pops goes howling up in front of them. Yeah. How? It's just <laughs> a dining the room. He's on the floor. I don't know. But see, that that's almost, and I hate to, to sound like I'm just doing anything to defend this movie, but that's almost like, that's all like part of it. It's a, it's I a, get it. I don't it's have a tale. that much of a problem with that. It's a tale spun from the point of view of these two kids. I know. I know. Listen, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's like, why didn't she just call the cops? Why didn't he bring a gun? 
<laughs> because it's all part of the story. His whole thing is a knife. That's it. I love it. He and I knife. love that. I love that. That's fine. Like he never tries to upgrade, even though he it's sees more just why didn't that Lillian Gish has a shotgun. I know, exactly. I don't mind that. He still comes back only with a knife. I don't mind that. It's why didn't Lillian Gish call the cops is my, my head, which is fine. It's fine. Because it's like I get this, it. Fairy tale. Well, I mean, she does end up calling the cops, but it's like she it's her duty to protect these kids and listen, yes you know? her, we get that image because she doesn't call the cops and I'll, I'll allow it i wonder if this was even more of a fairy tale like blatantly a fairy tale if you would buy into it more yeah but i just can't get behind like <gasps> but it's like part of it it's part <laughs> of it i don't know i'm really glad pearl didn't work after this I'm really, really <laughs> oh my god i think she's cute i think she's such a she's a great presence in this movie <laughs> about that i love her face i love the way she talks her freaking ringlets <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then like what else here yeah here's the thing like again we talked about kind of this storytelling aspect and then there's like the hangman and the hangman like comes home and then we never see him again until the end hang, like hang hung yeah and like that's fine like i like that stuff and i like this motif of children but i don't like pithy platitudes like i don't like <laughs> rachel looking at the screen and saying like oh poor children and i'm like really oh. like i get it like in the depression yes poor children yeah but like i don't know I, I don't know like it's like okay i guess yeah poor kids like but i really like i really like john getting a flashback to his father's arrest yeah when Robert really Mitchum like is being that. arrested. Yes, That's, I love that. I, it's so funny. As you get older, like, I just notice every year I get more emotional. And, like, during... You got emotional. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't crying or anything, but, like, I felt myself choke up a little bit in the scene when Robert Mitchum is getting arrested and John's like, no, don't. Like, it it's made powerful. me want to cry. No, that is powerful. But, yeah, these just kind of, like, it's, like, so morally righteous and it's, I don't know... Okay, but let's talk about him. I mean, in what way, though? This Rachel character is like, first of all, she's a misogynist. Like, yeah. straight up. <laughs> That's true. But then again, everyone is. So, like, his misogyny isn't even that powerful because everyone around is a misogynist. Like, freaking Icy Spoon. She's horrible. She's awful. Rachel, too. Women are fools. Women are fools. I'm going to have to take care of that baby because you the moonlight i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read it actually she'll be losing her mind to a tricky mouth and a full moon and like as not i'll be saddled with the consequences (laughs) number one slut shamer is rachel cooper (laughs) yeah yeah but she's understanding too. Like when she's not the only time she's redeemed is when she like hugs Ruby and yeah. is like, Oh, you know, like you were looking for love and I guess she didn't spank her, so that's great. But also Well, the only time she spanks John, it's because he runs away when she's trying to bathe him. Yeah, literally, like she's hitting she's him. She's just the mother figure. I understand in listen, a biblical listen, sense. I'm being partly funny here. I'm trying to be <laughs> partly funny here. And that's fine. Yes, she hugs Ruby. That's really nice. But then fucking Ruby is such a dimwit. It's so it's really annoying when he's literally been convicted for killing 25 people. I love him. You don't understand. Like, it's I can't. I think it's like it's truly like if you read this in a storybook, right? You almost have to frame it in that sense. I understand. I understand. But then she's like, ain't I pretty? And I'm like, oh, my God. That was so sad to me. It's just stupid. 
It's honestly kind of stupid. She's like, what, 13, 14? Like, she's just, she's in that transition. Like, she's been a child and she's I just I understand now, like, that, but 20, after being convicted of 25 murders and there's an angry mob trying to kill him, you guys don't understand. I love him. It's like, come on. Come on. And also that mob. I mean, she doesn't put up a very big fight. That mob is so confusing to me. What is that mob? Icy Spoon? Like, what are you doing? They're going after him. But it, what? And why are they afraid? Why are they running away? He's not being lynched. He's being put in a car and taken to jail. They're, they don't even have access to him. Why are they like breaking down furniture like they're going to start a pyre? I kind when of. He's, I got the I sense that don't he, understand. he kind of radicalized the town. It was the sense that I got, too. Uh, Icy Spoon is very radicalized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and everyone in the town is, like, so, like... Everyone calls their wife mother. It's like, I know people who do that. I was going to say, imagine if you called mommy mother. I know people who do that. Young people? No. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm it's like, look, when you raise kids with somebody... Person. And you're like, hey, talk to your mother, talk to mother. And then you just, the kids move out or whatever. And then you just still call the person mother or father. I don't know. I, and I'm fine. I'm joking about the mother thing. Like, I understand. What about the, the, what's the husband's name? I don't know. That guy's a fucking character. Instead of, I mean, her name is Icy. Is his name like Candy? I don't know. <laughs> Candy Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> They're so, I His don't name's know. Lick. Lick Spoon. I think it's like Walt or something. It's not really fun. not That's fun. not fun at all. But let's talk about him. Let's talk about the Harry husband? Powell. Oh, no, okay. Harry Powell. <laughs> because in my mind, on the first, I've only seen this once before. In my mind, he existed as a pure uh, fraud. Like he's not, for some reason, I forgot that he actually believes that he's a preacher. Like... I, that didn't yeah no he fully it's not a it's not a it's not just dressing for him no like he's actually a psycho like yeah. he's which is cool well, it's clear from the beginning when he's driving alone and, and talking. talking to god yeah and then also the perfumey things the lacy things and he like opens his knife in the pocket of the, like the burlesque at the burlesque yeah. show and he's like well i can't kill them all so like yeah because molly we watched it last night in the scene with um ruby when he pulls the knife, he like he does exactly. I was gonna her. say, is he on her or on himself? No, I think he's like getting ready to because anytime a woman expresses that much, like yeah, it just set, and that's sets really interesting. Off. Like yeah. I think that's really interesting. But then again, everyone's a misogynist, so like, how <laughs> powerful is it really? And it's it's interesting. Like he's not. Is he like asexual or he's like? He's not. A, see, I don't know why I remembered him more of as like almost like not an incel, but like that kind of oh for sure but he's not an incel i think he's still like <laughs> i think he just i almost get the sense that he's like a necrophiliac or something could be could be because there is this like eruption of sexuality coming from him yeah yeah when it's he opens there the knife i don't with... think he's asexual when all. he opens the knife with ruby i think he's i almost think he's like punishing himself like he's gonna like hit himself or something maybe like i don't know yeah, and then like he's pe- he's preaching to the peach pickers, right? Yes. Like it's not it's not just a fraud for him. Like yeah. he actually believes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just love hate. We should say love hate too. The tattoo's so famous. Yeah, love hate is iconic. Love so hate iconic. is iconic. Is he a little too funny? No, because I think the I best think villains kind of have that. Like, look at um. Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, right? that's like, true. Yes, he's, he's one of funny. the most terrifying and screen villains, and he's funny and he's yeah. ca- he's charismatic. 
And I I wouldn't say that Robert Mitchum in this movie is as charismatic, but like he clearly is able to win people over very quickly. Yeah, but like when he's crying to the spoons about she left me. And but they're like, buying it. I know, but he's just so I it's silly to me. Like that <laughs> seems silly to me. Yeah. That's Which fine. is like probably intentional, but I don't know. I'm having a hard time reconciling my like visual love with I think like the story or like not the story but i guess the way it's played out like right. i don't know right that's fair i mean i it's... wish i i listen i wish i was on your boat like i really do <laughs> like the drunk guys on his boat but they, that's the thing like he's not smart right like he wouldn't treat the kids like this if he was smart he would be smarter about it and also everyone around is just extremely dumb and horrible i thought you were gonna say dumb and horny <laughs> Like I guess. So it's like he's not as like he doesn't deliver this like um for me that I wish he did almost like Mm. I don't know. But then I love the scene of him walking the silhouette from the barn and him singing and anytime he's singing outside like that's creepy and you know what there's there's an element of Fritz Lang's M in this of Peter Laurie whenever you the Peter Laurie is always whistling throughout that movie I think he's whistling like in the hall of the mountain king so whenever you hear that you know that he's nearby and in this movie it's leaning and it's like and that song is actually yeah yeah no it's just great it's a great little motif it's so good no for me he's like the the ultimate package like villain like he is one of the screens in this film one of the screens all-time great villains i think because he just is the complete package like i think part of the charm of him is that sometimes he seems a little slow or like not super threatening like when he first takes the kids down into the basement when they tell him that's underneath one of the things He's like, this, this is concrete. This here is concrete. But like the kids like are about to take off. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, but he's like, he's he's not on top he's of dumb. Yeah, no, he's, he's dumb. dumb. But I like that. That like makes it almost in a way more terrifying. And it's like he has this whole dinner laid out. It's like, oh, we got apple crumble and we got this and this fried yeah, Did he prepare all that? No, or did he pick spoon it up? Did. Oh, spoon But it's like, yeah, I imagine yeah, yeah. in my mind, because they're just standing there. They don't enter the scene. They're literally just watching him eat. Yes. So, like, what was the scene directly before that? He's laying it all on the table, and they're just like standing there staring at him, or like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're not supposed to think about those things, and this I just one. do though. I just do, and he's like, "Well, look here, we got fried chicken." I don't know. It's <laughs> and then Pearl's like, "I'm hungry." <laughs> Let's talk about the look of the movie, too. We already did. Oh, let's go. Let's, and I love it. I know we're getting to favorite site in a little bit, but like, I think, too, again, a film like this, the look of it is so much of the appeal because, like, it is this, uh, you know, the, the cinematography is a crucial element. Because if this, if this was shot in a flatter way, like, it would not be the movie that it is. Never. And so the style in this film becomes substance, too, I think. Totally. Like, there are some films where you're just, like, they get dismissed because they're so overly stylized. And they, they're, like, people are like, oh, that movie's not, actually doesn't have anything to say. Or it's it's kind of shallow. It's all style. And this yeah. film, like, the style is the substance. Yeah, it right. really is. You're right. Because it's a mood. This is a mood piece. You're right. Honestly, there's so few films that are able to do this like Southern Gothic thing in this way. It's so clear minded and simple and it's like a 90 minute film. And uh, I think that just the use of real locations and sets and the whole thing has a very, very soundstage feel to it, which is mm-hmm. so 
much a part of the charm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These days, you couldn't really do this. Like, a lot of the backgrounds would be, like, green screen and CG and stuff. But, like, uh, although we just saw Poor Things, and Poor Things is, a again, lot of CG, a, a film but... that comes along. Yeah, there's CG, but, like, a lot of those are, like, real-ass sets. Like, I just yeah. saw a thing with Emma Stone where she's talking about, like, the Portugal set. Mm. Or, or Lisbon. It was, like... um like it would take you 20 minutes to just walk through that. That's whole crazy. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's a case for artificiality in yeah. films. Yeah. Cause we, a Barbie you know, too. Bar- Oh, exactly. Barbie. That's a, exactly. That's a better case. than 100%. The one I just made. But it's like, yeah, there's, there's a time and place for artificiality in, in films. And I think this movie's the ultimate case for that of like, right. it's not going for real life. And it's a storybook come to life. That's that's and what it is. Another storybook element I really love, and I forgot to mention this, is when they get off the boat, when he's like, we're sleeping on land tonight, and they go to that house. The barn? Yeah, oh, the house the first house with the bird. With the bird that's yeah. singing, and they hear the song, but it sounds like a woman. So like in that moment, I thought that was the Rachel character. Like I thought they had arrived, because I'd only seen this once before. And then it wasn't. Like They imagined that song. Like it, that, was, that was really cool. Well, see, that scene's interesting because it could be played either way. Like, either there's a woman in there that's singing or that song's on the soundtrack. We don't really know. You assume someone lives in there because if there's a bird in a cage, someone has to be there to feed it. Mm -hmm. So I guess the kids just didn't want to disturb her. In all fairness, when Rachel finds them later, she's the one that, like, herds them up. And it's like, you come with me. And, like, um, so I don't know that they're looking for help from people initially. I think they're just kind of like lone wolves. and Yeah. But the one no, lady handing the potatoes. I love that scene. This is such a dumb... I hate to bring it around to like video games, but do you know of the game Limbo? No. It's a game that maybe came out a decade ago, but it's like a platformer game. And it's like... It, it's totally the look of this. Like it's a black and white game with shadows and silhouettes and things. And I think the same company made a few other games. But like, yeah, just that kind of liminal, dreamy, black and white, shadowy... Apparently, the studio wanted this to be in color. Oh, God. That would have been so the wrong call. It wouldn't even be a good movie. (laughs) Honestly, maybe not. See, that's... It wouldn't. That's the thing. That's what this is hinging on. It's hinging on that fine of a line, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you make this color. Suddenly, this movie loses all of its steam. And that's like part of it. It's like the glow of the lamp and the shadows. And it's like not... And I really appreciate that this was his first movie and like he sat and did research like he watched silent films and like apparently he was like really on set like him and the cinematographer like the cinematographer basically taught him like everything like before they started shooting. And I just like really appreciate that. Like, again, I wish he made more movies like I really do. Yes, this was a big bomb. It it lost a lot of money and I didn't I don't think it got much critical respect in its day. No, it didn't really sad because it is one of those films that's ahead of its time. Of Absolutely course. Absolutely ahead of its time. And yeah, I would have... Lo- he died seven years later. Aww. But he maybe had one or two other films in him as a director. Yeah. Well, no, he didn't want to because he took the hit so hard. No, I'm saying like yeah. if, if this had done well, yeah, yeah. like there'd been probably a couple more mm-hmm. we would have gotten. And who mm-hmm. knows what those would have... Like if this is your jumping off point, like, oh Crazy. my God. Maybe he would have made one you would have actually liked. I do like this <laughs> movie. Kidding. No, I do like it. I just don't worship it. That's and fine. It's, there, a lot of it doesn't work for me. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm overall, always... like I recognize and I do like it. For me, my biggest motto, and we talk about this all the time, like films that can only be films. Like that's cinema, right? Like mm-hmm. a film should be designed 
to just be a film and to be as cinematic as possible because otherwise it could be a book, it could be this, it could be that, it could right. be a painting. And I think the thing about this, I, I'm so big on mood. And I think as a filmmaker myself, like that's the first thing I start with is like a mood. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in building an atmosphere as a filmmaker and sustaining something mm-hmm. like that. So for me to have a mood that's this rich and thick, like chocolate syrup, that would be at Spoons's. Uh, <laughs> ice cream parlor she's making in the beginning exactly like that's the atmosphere that this movie's dripping with and it's that southern gothic and it's just like i'm i'm in heaven i'm in heaven when i'm watching this movie and that's like it's mood above everything else but i think again i do think that not to say that i'm just ignoring any shortcomings i just i think the shortcomings you're talking about are absolutely like subjective and i think I think are mostly intentional and to, to give this this heightened melodramatic. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't thinking of camp. I don't even know if camp was an expression <laughs> that they used back then, but like, and I don't think it's quite camp. Um, I would say melodramatic, but camp camp is something different. Like, I don't know if it's quite camp. Oh, I mean, to each his own. <laughs> Todd Haynes would disagree. No, I don't know. Because he just said May December is not camp, or he's like, I wasn't thinking of camp at all. I was like, oh, I got big camp vibes from that. Well, I got big camp vibes from this. Interesting. Well, um, <laughs> I just, I again, I think some of so much of it. I think you can trace Mitchum's performance to stuff like Heath Ledger and The Dark Knight, and you know, stuff like that. Because like the unpredictability here. Exactly. One of my favorite moments in this movie. I mean, there's it's going to be so hard to do sight later because. There's just incredible image after incredible image. Him on the stairs of the basement chasing after the kids with his two arms outstretched. Um, but the scene where the kids first get away on the boat and he is in the water mm. and he just starts fucking screaming. It's crazy. Like, it's just, it's Should, weird ticks like that. Is that your favorite? It's not my favorite sound. <laughs> is that what I... Mm, never mind. You're like, is it mine? I don't know. But yeah, I just... You know, it, it's a simple film. It's a simple film, and it's not that it's incredibly deep. Like, I don't think that it's like, like you said earlier, it's it's, it's about spinning a yarn. This is called yarn spinning, the film. It's like, it's about sitting down and spinning a, a tail. Like, that's yeah. what the film's about. And so, like, on that front, I think it, Flying Colors, it's a great film. It's funny, too, because I hadn't seen this in maybe five years, and I remember the last time I saw it liking it, but thinking, like, oh, Maybe it's like not this 10 out of 10, 5 out of whatever masterpiece. But then watching it again last night, I was like, oh, no. Like, in fact, my viewing of it last night was the best viewing I've ever had of it. I'm really happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really happy. Should we do sight and sound? Yeah. Why don't you go first? The sight has to be Willa's body. Oh, same. Come on. Same. Like, it's incredible. I, I have not talked about that scene until now because I was saving it for now. Um, it's really, really incredible. Yeah. Her under the lake. Her under the lake. In the, the car. car. The branches. There's like the roots from a tree. What's crazy is that Birdie, when he looks down, she's like right there. Yeah. Like, it's not even deep. This. No, thing. it's not deep so, at like, all. I think that scene... That scene has haunted me since I first saw this when I was like 16 years old. It's crazy. And I think it is truly one of the most haunting and most memorable images in all of cinema. I will honestly say that right now. It's just so fucking eerie. Yeah. Because you know he's done something with her. We've seen the last scene with Shelley Winters. He pulls the knife above her head when she's laying in bed. She's like praying. 
Uh, and then we hear the car starting from like the kid's point of view. We know something's happened and the way he's immediately covering up like, oh, she left. We know he's killed her. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so shocking when we get that reveal and the way that totally. the camera lingers on it for a while. And the hair. The hair. So that's a good dummy for 1955. Like that oh, is yeah. like really good. Yeah. No, it looks like her. It looks like a waterlogged Shelly Winters. Sure. And the way that the guy talks about how she had an extra mouth in her throat, it's really fucking, it gets very dark. I mean, obviously, we see from the beginning that he's killing women with mm-hmm. like, but to see this in that detail and then hear people talk about that afterwards, I'll just say too about that scene, I have this fear called submechanophobia. Do you know, did I tell you about that? Do you know that what that is? No. It's the fear of man-made things that are submerged in water. Oh, yeah. You have these weird... Yeah. <laughs> you also have like things that aren't supposed to be there. Yeah. I'm not sure what that one's called. <laughs> <laughs> but this ticks a few boxes for me. Like, I don't like things that are underwater that like shouldn't be there. So it adds even this other layer of So like, like Titanic? Like you get really weirded out? Yeah. It does. Funnily enough, it doesn't trigger during Titanic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like it triggered when I went to the Queen Mary. Uh, you been right? I don't think oh, so. You should go. It's really cool because the Queen Mary was built by the same company that built the Titanic. These are all things that like my dad has been saying for years that we should go to as oh, a family. You should go. Then, like, oh, it's Greg so cool. Up it's, and it's like... <laughs> I'm just a dad. I like doing dad things. <laughs> no, but it's like it's really cool. But there's a section where you you see the propeller. And you kind of go into this like outside room because it's like dark and you look down into the ocean and you see this huge propeller and it's lit by like these blue lights. And the first time I went there and I saw that, like it really triggered something deep inside of me, like this true terror. And then I joined the submechanophobia subreddit. And then that image gets posted all the time, like people going to the Queen Mary and like taking that picture. And then it gets all these upvotes. I was like, oh, it just made me feel validated because like that really terrified me. (laughs) But anyway, yes, that image of Shelley Winters underwater in the car, her hair is floating above her and it's just like, and the tree branches, it's just the the roots, it all adds to it. It's crazy. And almost the most terrifying shot is the one from his boat what's the guy's name the drunk uncle birdie who, who turns out to be the most useless fuck oh around god literally um but his pov when he looks down mm-hmm. and sees it's her right the there yeah that's like really really terrifying yeah but how did he not see her before before <laughs> like he's been he's been sitting there and then once the rod gets stuck he's like whoa because he's not again. It's part of the fairy tale nature, but like he's I not, know, he's I not know. Looking at that guy's like, has, I'm messing with you. He's nursing a major hangover. I'm, I'm messing. <laughs> like literally blackout drunk the night before. Also, the image, the picture he has, the frame of his wife sitting there, like she's so beautiful. Like yeah. he's really out of her league. Yeah, but she's been dead at this point for 25 <laughs> years. Imagine what I he looked like 25 years ago before he was hitting the bottle. <laughs> But, like, usually you see, like, it's so funny. I think it was, like, in Downton Abbey. It's, like, Carson the butler's talking about his first love. And he's, like, she was so beautiful. And then it's, like, this really typical, like, 1800s portrait of someone, like, well, yeah. not beautiful. This that woman's is beautiful. That is the meanest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Poor Mr. Carson. But just, like, the most typical, like, like serious, like, 1800s woman. And it's like, oh, she's beautiful. Well, because that's the way that people took portraits I understand, back then. but I just appreciate that in this, the picture of the woman, she's actually really beautiful. Right, right. I sound really mean right now. 
I don't have it out for this movie. I actually really like this movie. <laughs> like how many stars on Letterboxd? I don't do, you like do stars. But I if you, ha- do if you did anymore. do it for this movie, what would you do? Probably three and a half. Okay, okay. I got a sense. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite sound? Okay. My favorite sound is gotta be when he is looking for the children. And he says this. Children. Children. It's so good. Yeah, it's really classic. Again, this is this character. He's just Again, he's not he's not like real, right? Like he's a storybook villain. Oh yeah. That's the that's the appeal. And so those really affected things that he says are like Yeah, then I <sighs> Yeah. Well, it's funny. My favorite sound. There's a lot in here. I almost picked a Pearl line because her speech is so funny. No, I feel like we should include a few. Like this, the sounds I, in this movie. I'm are... gonna be deliberate. I'm gonna be deliberate because I could. If I start picking a few, I would. It would open the Pandora's box, and I would pick way too many. So I'm just gonna stick with this one. And I love the music in the film too, especially that kind of like the theme of the children and stuff. But I love Lillian Gish's line near the end where she says this. It's a hard world for little things. Yeah, literally after an owl has just eaten a rabbit. Yeah. But it's like so <laughs> But that's like It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> this like, is the Great I Depression. See that bunny, I'm like, no, and then an owl freaking <laughs> comes. <laughs> it's really funny. You know, okay, the kid that like Ruby's boyfriend, I guess. Doesn't he look just like Peppy from the shop around the corner? I don't remember what Pepe looks like. You don't remember? Maybe it's because I just watched it for Christmas. I haven't seen it in a few years. Like I really thought it was Peppy, but it's not. Oh. Um. Oh, and then I also think it's hilarious that at the end, uh, that's a great sound, by the way. I feel like I totally went off. Do course. you think it's a great sound? No, I don't. That's actually <laughs> one of the things. I'm like, okay, really? Of all this, of the wailing, we didn't play his like wailing, screaming. Should we play it? Okay, play it. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And also, like, Bert, there's one point where Birdie is talking, and I have no freaking clue what this man is saying. <laughs> like, no idea. Well, that's the point. <laughs> Well, that brings us to Pauline. Wait, wait, wait. No, I have one more thing to say. Don't you think it's hilarious that this kid has $10,000 and yet he doesn't remember to give Rachel, this woman who literally saved his life, a gift and gives her one of her own apples? (laughs) I don't even think she would accept the money. Wait, okay. Let's talk about that apple scene for a second because I think that scene is really touching. I I don't. I think it's literally a little boy who forgot to get a gift. All of these orphans got her a gift. You literally just forgot to give her a gift and gave her one of her own apples. Yeah, but he put thought into the presentation and he... he, clotheslines no the, this is a boy thing the doily literally it. it's literally just a boy thing it's a little boy it's boys it's like, that forget and are not thoughtful think about all the trauma he's just been through. I'll, I'll allow it because of the trauma he's been through but like he has been I'm forced to grow up super fast i was strangely touched this time <laughs> she has to pretend like she likes it this is the nice. most important of all it's like no these other orphans that went <laughs> and says, thought and bought you a gift that's more thoughtful she says Sorry. most important for the body and is she well, wrong? You know what? The soul is more important. Is the woman wrong? Soul is more important than the body. Well, I don't know about that because if the body doesn't, you know, 
the body needs to outlast. <laughs> um, but the her getting him the the watch is like also also almost made me cry. That's so nice of her. That's <laughs> you know. so nice of her. Yeah. Uh, you know it's funny we've done a Lillian Gish movie before didn't wasn't she an intolerance she's an intolerance yeah, yeah, yeah. she's the cradle of civ- cradle of civilization cradle of life yeah, mother like cradle life mother person. to all uh, guess what in this movie again mother to all yeah I guess they should they should just call Night of the Hunter Mother Goose yeah they should <laughs> just Mother Hunter Mother Hunter it is true he's That's a Mother sequel. Hunter it's the sequel oh my goodness they should make it now just put like Ariana Grande in it or something. They are remaking this movie. Wait, really? Yeah. Who? It was reported that Universal Pictures is working on a remake of the film set in present day. Well, hopefully that just gets stuck in development hell because that sounds dreadful. Yeah. This is the kind of film that like you don't remake. You just don't. No, but I mean, there's a novel. Like, I guess it's I don't just fucking like... care. <laughs> Pauline Kale. Should we do that segment? Remember this? <laughs> remind me okay so this is just a short snippet again 55 she seems to be reviewing this uh from a future date so it's not like a full review it's just a few sentences but this is what she says despite its peculiar overtones of humor this is one of the most frightening movies ever made and truly frightening movies become classics of a kind Robert Mitchum is the murderous, sex-obsessed, hymn-singing soul-saver with hypnotic powers, and his terrified new wife, Shelley Winters, who has a boy and a little girl from an earlier marriage, becomes his fervent disciple. Uh, I said fervent, too, in my description. You did, you did. He is something of a Pied Piper in reverse. Adults trust him, children try to escape. The two kids' flight from the madman is a mysterious dreamlike episode, a deliberately artistic suspense fantasy, broken by the appearance of a Christian variety of fairy godmother, Lillian Gish. The adaptation of Davis Grubb's novel was James Aggie's, or Aggie, I think it's Aggie's, last film work, and this shadowy horror fable was the first and only movie directed by Charles Lawton. It was a total financial disaster, and he never got to direct again. So That's more yeah, of she's just a synopsis. Well, she says it's one of the most frightening movies ever yeah. made. Yeah, and the arty float but, down the river. Yeah, it's great. But it really again, she could have been reviewing this from like 1960, and like Psycho was just about to come out, and like a bunch of you know Exorcist and terrifying shit. But like, in a way, like I mean, imagine seeing this in 1955 because yeah. I'm thinking of like American horror films before this, and they all kind of had like. I mean, you think about the Universal Monster movies like 20 years earlier, and those are good. I love those. But like, they're very much like people get their comeuppance. I mean, in Frankenstein, Frankenst- the Frankenstein's monster does kill a little girl, but it's accidentally. Yeah. In this film, 20 years later, you have this insane God-worshipping man mm-hmm. who's actively trying to kill these two And the children. church was against it, yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, you can see the progression of where we were just about to be a few years later with stuff like Psycho. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I think this kind of sets the stage for all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And in some weird way, I don't know. We have actually Psycho is coming up very, very soon. Mm -hmm. I might make, I might like this more than Psycho. I'm not quite sure. Psycho is not my favorite Hitchcock movie. I think it's great, but it's not like the one I think about all the time or anything. Me neither. 
Also, we forgot to mention in uh, Do the Right Thing, the famous homage to the love hate. Yes. Well, there's lots. So in Do the Right Thing, you have it because he's wearing like the gold knuckle love Mm -hmm. and hate. And then in even like uh, Rocky Horror, Meatloaf has love and hate on Mm -hmm. his on his uh, knuckles, too. And it's been it's been referenced many, 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 many times throughout cinema and TV and literature and just art in general. It's Mm -hmm. a very it's probably the most famous single thing to come from this movie is the love and hate. Definitely. Letterboxd? Sure. Someone gave it half a star and just said, I was uncomfortable and angry for most of this movie. Very, very dramatic and literally black and white telling of good versus evil. I think those are exactly the reasons I like it. It is supposed to make you uncomfortable and angry. And yes, it is a very literal good versus evil. That's that's absolutely the film. It is a fable. Sure. (laughs) Here's a three-star review that I kind of like. There are broad bursts of comedy and a nursery rhyme vibe that mixes it up with religious fundamentalism, rampant greed, cold-blooded murder, and capital punishment. It all amounts to an abundance of excess. Subtle it ain't. And consequently, I found its elements didn't settle into one particular thing. Unlike most reviewers, I couldn't take Robert Mitchum's character seriously. He seems like the big bad wolf too full of bravado and stupidity to succeed and the kids were far too cute and all american to ever be in mortal danger (laughs) it's possible my dissatisfaction stems from thinking it would be a different film and perhaps i'd like it more with the correct expectations but for a first watch i was able to get a great deal of enjoyment out of its look the gothic shadows are very well done and visually the whole thing's a treat with that underwater scene a real standout i feel i i kind of agree with this person yeah in terms uh. of yeah like i don't think it all lands coherent like i mm. or like i get the intention do i like it no not mean like i do sometimes i don't know anyway um here's a great review it's a full five stars it just says remember those bedtime stories you were told as a kid that used to scare you because of the images they left behind in your dreams Every time I watch Night of the Hunter, I'm reminded of what those stories used to leave in my head as Charles Lawton's visual style, often reminiscent of the German expressionist films, helps heighten how frightening this tale is. You already feel something hiding from the shadows, but Lawton never makes a direct reveal just immediately, creating a perfect piece of gothic fiction infused with the style of a film noir. It goes on a little further, but I thought that was really beautiful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, I'll, they finished saying this. It's a shame that Charles Lawton has only directed one film because he is the sort of talent that would have brought out numerous classics. I agree. The Night of the Hunter just happens to already be one in its own right. But in 1955, it's easy to say they weren't ready for a film like this. It's forever leaning on the everlasting arms. <laughs> <laughs> That almost was my favorite sound, too. Just him singing Leaning. leaning. Like, oh, my God. The it's way good. that you're able to conjure this mood with him just, like, off in the distance singing this yeah, song. Yeah, it's really like, good. Oh, my God. That song is also, like, kind of the main theme in the Coen's True Grit. Oh, that's the right. The music in that is so good. And, like, that, so the lean-in, like, him is, like, very prominent in it. You know, I, um, it's been a while. I like that movie, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. I'll need to rewatch I have made it no secret that I freaking love that You do. Movie. That's like, like your favorite think, Western, right? No. I mean, no. I, it's like up there. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. I have four stars that says, why do all the men in this movie look like Bill Murray? <laughs> Which they don't. They do don't. They? No, I don't see that. Do you that. think he does? I mean, maybe he does like a little bit. No. 
That's just someone. No? That's just someone who's never seen Robert Mitchum before, and they're tr- they're desperately trying to apply their modern sensibilities. Okay, to... why do you have to be rude? Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like Bill Murray. I feel like Walt does. Walt. Walt Spoon. Oh yeah, no, Bill Murray. <laughs> someone gave it a three and a half stars and said some of the dialogue delivery is kind of cheesy, but the cinematography and set design is some of the most beautiful I've ever seen. It's like two different movies. Yeah, and that seems to be the one undisputed fact about this film is that it is one of the most beautiful, evocative-looking films ever made. Yeah, I for think sure. everyone can kind of agree on that, and then mm-hmm. it's up to uh, people whether. The rest of the movie works for them or not. I agree. Uh, another three and a half stars. Right off the bat, Night of the Hunter may be one of the best looking films I've ever seen, both black and white and color. Cinematography, mise en scène are both flawless. The framing, the lighting, the use of shadows are nothing short of jaw dropping. Goes on. That being said, the acting for the most part was distractingly bad, even for an older movie. As soon as all the technical stuff would draw me in, just as soon some flubbed or unenthusiastic slash overenthusiastic delivery of a line would draw me out of it. I didn't think the script itself was that great either, but I still felt like it was being underserved, which isn't really a good thing. That I totally agree. It's like it draws me in exactly like draws me in and then like something takes me out. So it's funny. In the, I think the juxtaposition of this dreamy, moody art film with this kind of aw shucks stuff yes. is the reason. So I'll, I'll mention a movie that does the reverse. Have you seen One-Eyed Jacks, the Marlon Brando movie? Mm-mm. So it's the only movie he ever directed. It's a Western. He's in it with Carl Malden. And the movie kind of has this like almost aw shucks feel to it. But then all of the acting is like really natural and modern. So it has this weird disconnect between what the movie feels like and what the actors are doing. And I think that's where the movie's magic is. And I think the same can be said for Night of the Hunter of like, it's this expressionist fairy tale that's ultra moody and stuff. And then you have this like Mayberry, like acting sometimes like, oh, shucks. And like larger than life things. I just like that juxtaposition. But I think that the, the, the uh, form is very, outlandish as well like it's not like I guess the, it alternates, it's like right? subtly shot and then really crazy acting um, yeah it's kind of like they're both kind of out of this world yeah but then see that then why do i have a problem with it why do you <laughs> jackie is there any chance in these last couple minutes that i can flip you on this movie <sighs> <laughs> i i think i like it more after talking it out uh-huh. but i still think it's just like it's the kids. I think it's the kids. It's the way they talk. It's the way, yeah. And it's again these like really like generic, really righteous morality. Like I don't know. I know. I listen. I like it. I'll revisit. I definitely will. But <laughs> overall, I don't think this should be number twenty five on the sight and sound mm, list. I like the sound of that. Yeah, I think it should. Mm, well, again, happy for you. <laughs> I'm so glad that this rose through the ranks. Because, yeah, like, it moved up so much. It's probably because yeah. all these young, not young, but like like everyone is seeing Do the Right Thing, right? And then they're all saying like, what's that from? And they're all going and seeing that. Yeah, you sure. Know, do the Right Thing is like so old, but like. I know, it's like 30 something years old. No, but like it's just, it's present. And that scene, yeah, yeah. especially from Do the Right Thing is always, people are always posting that. I think like, this, yeah, this film has retained its place in, in film culture like Mm -hmm. it's it's not forgotten and people i think it's yeah i think in the same way that people are drawn to films with these like maniacal characters like which is why people love joker stuff so much because it's this kind of unhinged Mm -hmm. like lunacy 
um, and villainy, but it's like so people like these weirdo fuck mm-hmm. villains, and that's yeah. what he is, and he's like kind of like the proto version of that. Yeah. Not, again, not the original. Like, of course, you have Peter Lorre or something from M, like twenty years before this, but. I think it holds up to a modern eye because of the way it's shot and because of the Mitchum character being so batshit crazy. Yeah. And uh, it's also just like, again, I hate to use this term, but like a film bro movie, you know, it's like yeah. in a way, cause it's like the, again, the way it's shot, it's a beautiful film with a psycho character in it. Yeah. And film bros are drawn to that kind of thing. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so, but this one's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are uh, it's a s'mores episode. So if you're not subscribed on Patreon to Camp Seen and Heard, what are you waiting for? We're doing, the as of recording, the poll's about to close, but it looks like it's about to be Jack Hill's Coffee with Pam Greer. It was up against uh, Roger Vadim's Barbarella with Jane Fonda. And it seems, as of now, Coffee is winning. So it looks like it's going to be Coffee next week. So yeah, again, s'mores, we have a good time. Yeah. We go off the list and we do shit that, uh, you know, genre stuff, exploitation stuff. Camp. <laughs> I True guess camp this movie I mean. should have been a s'mores, huh? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what we'll be doing next week. And then we're coming back in February with uh, some a great run of movies. Like we're doing Psycho, we're doing Sunset Boulevard. But most importantly, we're coming back with our episode uh, next month of best, our favorite films of 2023, mm-hmm. which we've been working on. Uh, and I know we we originally said we were going to do it in January, but we both needed more time to mm-hmm. to see to catch up with to see and the films, hear to see and hear. So, uh, yeah, lot to look forward to end of this month and all through next month. Can't wait. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Until next time, I'm Greg. <laughs> I'm Jackie, and we'll see you on the next one. Special thanks to the patrons at our highest tier, John Pennington and Cynthia Fordwell. Seen and Heard is an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line, you can find us on email at hello at seenandheardpod.com or on Instagram at seenandheardpod.